what does a pharmacist do? Well, most people might answer that a pharmacist dispenses the medications that my doctor prescribes. Now, I work with a ton of great pharmacists, and one thing that I don't generally see is excitement about pills in a vial. And this is probably because pharmacists have been trained to do so much more. So what can you get excited about in your community? To find out, let's go Beyond the Scripts. Hey, welcome back to Beyond the Scripts. I'm your host, Will Tuft, and today we are going to talk about a Pennsylvania mainstay. If you are in the Northeast at all, probably you've heard the name of Robert Mayer, and you've also probably uh, become familiar with a couple of the pharmacies in the area that he's involved with. So the Smith's drugstore chain, and then as well as the Patton Pharmacy, a family pharmacy uh, for many, many years. So welcome, Rob. Look forward to talking with you today. Thank you for having me, Will. It's a pleasure to be here. So for anybody who's not in the Pennsylvania area, who uh, maybe hasn't uh, gotten to meet you in person or seen you uh, out on trade show floor somewhere, uh, tell me a little bit about your kind of uh, career in pharmacy. Where'd you start and where are you at now? Sure. Um, I've been a pharmacist almost 30 years. It'll be 30 years this come spring. Um, but I actually grew up in my uh, my father's family-owned pharmacy, which he started back in 1974. So at that age, I had been four years of age. But um, I I probably fell in love with pharmacy when I was about 13, and we actually went from our very went from doing just good old-fashioned typewriter dispensing, and had our very first computer. So you know, so I've been working in the pharmacy realm, you know, ever since that was I was that young. I ended up going to the University of Pittsburgh School of Pharmacy, and initially my career, I thought I'd just be coming back home and, and working in the family pharmacy, which I did for a little bit, um, but I had the clinical bug, and I decided to go back after working two years and then got my post-PharmD, and I actually thought I was just going to be doing clinical um, inpatient, and I ended up doing a residency down in um, Durham in North Carolina in geriatrics at the Durham VA in the Duke Center for Aging. And it was probably there that I first got exposed to pharmacists could do something different besides, you know, being in the distributor role, which is still very important. And we actually worked with physicians, um, nurses, and um, PT, OT, you name what, you know, every healthcare professional who took care of a geriatric patient. And we were part of this team approach. And that was my first real exposure of how a pharmacist can really make a difference in terms of outcomes. And I, that, that's been 25 years, it's hard to believe, since my residency. And <laughs> that has actually probably been my biggest driving goal is to be able to replicate that type of model somewhere in practice, and I, I came back to Pittsburgh in '98 and uh, got into teaching at Duquesne University, which is the other pharmacy school down the road. And I've been part of Duquesne for the last 25 years, but I started out doing inpatient. But uh, what was funny when I was inpatient, I was doing rounds. I found that everybody that kept coming to the hospital, and this was before penalization of hospital readmissions, they were frequent flyers, and they were frequent yeah. flyers because of drug-related problems, adherence, things that we still are dealing with today in 2022. And I kind of got frustrated because a lot of times I say it rounds, well, you know, it's because of this. And they say, oh, the outside, they'll, they'll take care of that on the outside. Well, they never really always did. And they would come back in the hospital. And like I said, this is prior to hospitals being focusing on readmissions. So I ended up um, actually, my father and actually David Sippel, who I currently work for now, had started up a group of pharmacies in the Pittsburgh area um, in grocery stores called Hometown Pharmacies. And I actually started working with them. And just to make a long story short, over the years, those slowly evolved. And in fact, actually, Sean Nairn actually took some of those. And actually, that's what ACOR is, kind of came out of those. And I had the opportunity a few years ago to come on board working with uh, David uh, Sippel um, at Klingismus. And uh, the Sipple family and my family have been friends for a long time, even I was a kid. And so it was kind of a natural fit to go there. And then I've also worked with my family's pharmacy, and we recently actually uh, passed that on to another independent last fall. So 
My passion has been community pharmacy. And, you know, one of the things, as I said to you earlier, is trying to, I still remember that model of when I was practicing in my residency of how could pharmacists do that? And, you know, yeah. that's where we are today. So that, that's kind of my short story. So, yeah, no, you took us on a long drive. So that drive down to uh, Durham, when you were there, what did that environment look like? Were you like inpatient? Were you in a hospital? Were you in a facility most of the time? Or was it a pharmacy that was interacting with those entities? No, at the time, it wasn't a pharmacy. It was actually, we were working in geriatric. We had two different versions. We had an outpatient geriatric clinic. And then we also had what's called the GEM team. And the VA system still has this. And and actually, over the Center of Aging, they had something very similar. And basically, every discipline evaluated a patient. And these are patients that are teetering on the fence, that if think that the course doesn't alter, they're probably going to have to be institutionalized into a nursing home or personal care home. Hence, as we talked, you know, one of the other new things that are coming up today, you know, in pharmacy is the medical at home model. A lot of the things we were doing were very similar to what I think the medical at home model could do. But one of the things I remember when I was working um, in that residency, my preceptor at the time and residency director, Joseph Handlin, he actually had a little bit of an independent pharmacy background when he was in school. And, you know, one of the things we realized is call the pharmacy, do a med rec. You know, when somebody wasn't taking their meds, let's call the pharmacy and see how they're doing. And so we weren't working directly with a pharmacy then. And because it was a teaching environment and there was no reimbursement model, we had the best of both worlds in that, that the pharmacist had time to spend. All right. But, you know, those principles that I got taught, you know, those things are very applicable to today. Yeah, it's funny when you when you take the money out of it, you can be really idealistic, but uh, it's not very scalable. <laughs> no, it's not very scalable. And like I said, but, you know, you know, the simple things to apply of identifying, you know, you know, you know, what are they taking? What aren't they taking? Why aren't they taking it? You know, which can have multiple reasons. You know, they don't like taking it. They have adverse effects. They can't afford the medication or they're confused. They're on a lot of meds and how do they keep track? And like I said, that that experience I had in that year trajectory uh, moved me on. And then and the other experiences is that, you know, the one thing the VA system, you know, does well is it actually utilizes pharmacists in that care model. And I got that both to Duke and at, I mean at Durham. And also when I was at, I did some rotations at the VA here in Pittsburgh. Yeah. Do you think that's just kind of a byproduct of you know, limited resources and really looking for, okay, we, you know, we, we have these limited resources. Where can we best, you know, get, get some bang for the buck? Who's talking to these patients? Can they also do this? Is it, is it really kind of that frugal mentality of, of a stretched, uh, kind of, uh, service? No, I think, and then sometimes it perplexes you that our own VA system, which is a government system, recognize that, you know, what patients don't always need to see the physician. The physician, yes, is the, you know, the head coach, I like to put, yeah. that they, they identify what the problems are. But if somebody just needs, you know, to evaluate how their insulin is doing and we need to adjust the dose to get to their target hemoglobin1c or their back when, the, you know, we use Coumadin a lot more, need to just get that Coumadin therapeutic, they, you're right that there's limited resources and and utilizing a pharmacist versus scheduling another appointment for that physician and also the finances that go along with that, it, it was a perfect fit. And, you know, sometimes as we talk about provider status, we have a great model there to show that pharmacists could do this. And, and we're, we are now starting to show that, you know, in the community level. So, no, you're absolutely right. That's how those, that started. Yeah, I... You know, it's funny. We look at like so many retail pharmacies now are, I, I think, finally kind of getting on board with some of those efficiencies that facilities have to do things a certain way just by the nature of their structure. You can't give, you know, a hundred patients their medications willy-nilly throughout the day. You know, you you have to have everything very organized. You have to have their adherence uh, schedule set up. You have to have a med sync cycle for the facility because you're not going to the pharmacy every day for all these different patients. So like so many of those efficiencies that come out of facility management where 
you need to have a cycle. You need to have adherence packaging, dose packaging, MAR to, you know, educate the rest of that patient's healthcare team. Bringing so many of those basic necessities in the LTC environment into the retail environment all of a sudden make a lot of sense and provide a lot of uh, efficiencies. Yeah, because I think an opportunity, you know, and it's still a new topic in terms of reimbursement is the medical at home model. You know, there's a lot of organizations out there and we have a couple in our area like they are an organization that actually pays for care centers. And these aren't really healthcare professionals. They're 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 people trained to, to sit and take care of an elderly patient who couldn't stay it alone. However, because they're not trained, they're really not allowed to administer the medications they can assist. But mm. I talked to one caregiver one time. They were going to you know five or six different pharmacies, you know, getting pill bottles and thinking about you know what that's kind of you know you know insane when you think about time wise versus. You're right. If you if you know if you use a 28 day cycle, they're all synced at the exact same time each month. You know exactly when they're going to either be delivered or picked up. And so using that type of skills and you know, and and then the other thing too, and 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 I know that this gets said at the Pioneer conferences, it gets said everywhere, that you know MedSync is that cornerstone to be able to do everything else. You know, I always try to stress, and we're we're far from perfect at our pharmacies, and we're working there. Um, but if I'm only at 25 or 30 percent synced, that means the rest of my day is, you know, anywhere from 75 or 70 percent guessing. Whereas if we can sync and get across that 50 percent threshold, maybe to 60 or 70, then your day is a lot more manageable to be able to plan those things out. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's not even... Uh, only, only that, but also if, if you're looking at a patient's drug therapies like very um, sporadically throughout the month and, and moving drugs through, you're, you're really not managing all of those alerts and warnings in and, and the same way that you do when with that appointment-based model. So, so much changes when, when you're looking at that patient's medication regimen as a whole other than you know, oh, let me get this refilled or on the way. So it's a much different kind of intentionality. Yeah, I mean, that's one, one of the things that's happening here in Pennsylvania with our, our own pharmacy care network is that we recently have gotten a new contract where they're willing to, you know, have a reimbursement for adherence and for sinking. But one of the other things they're will, wanting us to do and willing to reimburse is med reconciliation and risk assessment. And when you think about it, if I'm onboarding anybody, and I still take this back to when I was doing my residency, is that first meeting with that patient or caregiver, that's when you want to do that full assessment. That's when you want to find out what are they really taking, what aren't they really taking, and then that's the time to work with their their doctor or their healthcare professionals to streamline that. And that yeah. could be, a, and that could be a win-win for a lot of people. You know that, you know, one, you know, you're gonna, you know, maybe simplify their regimen, but two, especially if you're using some technology like, you know, adherence packaging technology, whether it's the baggy system or multi-bubble, the more you can streamline it to the pharmacy, it could be a win-win for both the patient and the pharmacy. You know, so that if somebody's on 15 medications, you know, but they're taking a lot of things four or five times a day, whereas we could get them maybe to a drug once a day. Well, that's a win for them. And it also may be a win for us because, you know, our, our our technology is not having to overwork. Yeah, we uh, we recently added a feature in Pioneer Rx called uh, events. And basically, this allows you to, you know, record that interaction. So if you do have a new patient that came to you, something happened. So it may have been a routine flu shot and you've converted them into, you know, a patient at your pharmacy, but it could be something like they went for their annual wellness visit, found out they have high blood pressure, and now they have this whole new, you know, chronic disease state that is kind of weighing on their daily decisions there. And, you know, it's a, uh, it's a life-changing event. So being able to record that or, you know, if it's something much more complex, one of those patients that maybe just got 
moved to the area and or just came out of the hospital, you know, being able to record that event and, and have that history. But then, like you said, too, the, the med rec, which is also uh, an area we have in the software, because that patient understanding and, and duplicate therapies, you know, they come out of the, the hospital with all new medications, but they've still got the old ones sitting on their dresser at home. You know, so many opportunities for that to create issues if you're if you're not proactive. Yeah, no, definitely. And, and that's one thing I also learned way back when in my residency, I got an opportunity to do uh, it was a month where I went out with a home care nurse. And we went out to all these different rural areas around the Durham Raleigh area. And it was fascinating to see what was in people's homes. And it was fascinating to see some of the overusage and waste of certain medications. And that's a different topic for another time of should elderly pa- patients even get 90 days supply just because of the, the waste and and you know and, and the complexity. And so that med wrecking is so important, I think. And I think that's something we as community pharmacists, you know, can own because we, we're that access point, that we're that, you know, ability to help those people. Yeah. I mean, so, so often when like we have these podcasts or if you go to any of the trade shows, you know, the conversations steer to, you know, some of those primary care opportunities that pharmacists can fill. And that's certainly true, but I feel like this is one of those spaces that is directly in independent pharmacies wheelhouse and and so often overlooked is just taking that little bit of extra time um you know especially on on a new patient intake or you know an existing patient that hey you just got out of the hospital let's talk about that yeah no absolutely or you know something simple we do um that when we first started adopting the in the med sync process a pioneer Every, every patient, and this is regardless of their adherence packaging, gets a pickup report. And we print that pickup report, and it actually says when their next sink is. And what we try to do is to, to, to train our, our, our fill clerks who are, you know, our cashiers at the register that if somebody comes in to pick up that med sink and that date of that pickup date is really off from when they should have, all right, that – you know, they're five days overdue or they're, you know, obviously we're putting things back, you know, if it's you know more than 10 days or 14 days, but that's a talking point. Why are you, why, why are you so off? And like a lot of times we don't even know that they were hospitalized. Maybe they were, you know, cause that's probably, probably where we need to get better is how, how can we, you know, partner with our hospitals in the area, our physicians in the area to, to find out when those things are occurring. Cause that's you're right. That's the next time where somebody's taking something that they shouldn't be taking, you know, anymore or and they didn't even realize they were supposed to stop. it. Yeah. Yeah. And that five day thing, you know, that's that's probably not that the patient went a whole business week without taking that medication. It's probably throughout the that 30 day time period or 28 day time period. They they missed one day every week. And uh, what's no big deal. Right. Um but yeah, great coaching opportunity. Um, and so you mentioned the uh, PPCN. Tell me a little bit about that and and how that kind of fits in with CPESN and your local. So so here in here in Pennsylvania, and and this is something you know I actually very proud of that is that you know we've actually have had a very strong leadership in terms of our state pharmacy association and our members and you know. I'm losing track. It's probably beyond more than 10 years, but almost right when the CPSN was starting to form and, you know, Joe Moose and all of them were doing what they were doing in North Carolina, we actually were working on the same thing here in Pennsylvania. And we were actually, you know, the first thing I know that that got created, there was a grant um, that it was with the University of Pittsburgh and PPA were just training pharmacists how to do MTM. And then out of that, started talking about creating this pharmacy care network. And um, it slowly evolved. Um, we created our own training program. So one of the things uh, to belong to the PPCN, every pharmacist has to be trained. And myself and multiple colleagues, um, both who work in community pharmacies, who work in academia, all seven schools of pharmacy, we have seven schools here in 
Pennsylvania, it's hard to believe, but all seven schools contributed to that. And then just recently, my, myself and Nicole Pizzino from uh, Wilkes University, we revamped that training. And the reason why we have the training program initially for our pharmacy care network is when we go to a payer, we say that our pharmacists are trained to be able to take care of patients in multiple different ways, like we've just been talking about. And so that goes a long way because I can remember when I came out of my residency and I was here and I, I was here at, at, at uh, Duquesne and I met one of the bigger payers in our area and I'm talking to a guy who's a pharmacist and I said, you know what, I know, pharma, and this was actually about asthma at the time, I said, I know pharmacists could do a great job and improve outcomes for asthma. And he flat shut me down and said, it, it'll never work. I said, why? He goes, because how do I know the right aid down the street and you know Joe's Pharmacy down the street are doing the same thing? And I think that's one thing MTM, even though it was slow in starting, did was it created that pharmacy care process. And so our PPCN kind of originated out of all those things. And we actually have, you know, uh, currently right now we have, I'm trying to think, we have one, two, we have about three or four payer contracts going on right now. Um, we, we, we've actually had a payer contract probably over the last five years in some form or another. Um, and our leadership in the PPCN, we do weekly meetings, we have luminaries. And so um, we're probably a little bit stronger, more in the western part. We're trying to get better contracts in the eastern part. They recently realigned our Medicaid managed care, but, you know, it it is alive and well and payers are starting to notice um and and that you know that pharmacists do make a difference and so you know we we've got a great opportunity and one of the things i always say is this opportunity is here but it, it could go away really quickly if we don't take advantage of it and show what our worth is so that's like i said i never thought we'd come to this day but i also know that we got to treat this day very special and do our darnest and work hard to be able to to accomplish that yeah, that was that was one of the big themes that um, they talked about in the Catalyst podcast recently uh, with Doug Hoy, where they're talking about making independent pharmacy easy to work with, um, and having some of those you know technology bridges that that put those independent pharmacies in a in a you know playing field that they can work together and say, yeah, we can perform these services. Um, and it's so interesting because throughout healthcare, like it seems like everybody's looking for somebody that can help them with, you know, improving the metrics, improving performance, you know, getting the, you know, uh, getting the patients to, you know, stay out of the hospital. <laughs> and uh, pharmacies are independent pharmacies specifically are uniquely positioned to do that. So. Did that kind of start before Klingon Smiths or while you were there? Because it seems like you, you were in kind of a unique position where you already had a bit of network adequacy for a large geographical area with that pharmacy. Yeah, we actually, when I first came on to Klingon Smiths full-time, and that was back in 2015, um, our first program that I started was we had a transition of care program. And it's kind of... Mm -hmm kind of cold down because of COVID and just access to the hospital. But we had a program where we had patients get referred to us. We delivered the meds to their bedside and we did a 48 hour call, you know, to, you know, to evaluate them. Unfortunately, we weren't getting reimbursed for that clinical side. We were only getting, you know, making, you know, some, some revenue on the distribution side, but it, it started that partnership with our local hospital. The one thing, um, Pittsburgh, the Pittsburgh area, we really have two major health systems, and and over the last 25 years, those health systems pretty much have bought up the majority of the local hospitals, and they're part of their network. But I'll give that where we're located, about 40 minutes north of Pittsburgh, our hospital still stands independent, and so we've worked with them um, prior for me coming. They had already had a relationship with the 340B, um, mm, but but yeah. we do have we do have a very good relationship with them actually. We, we, we held joint clinics during COVID. Um, we, we, you know, in fact, actually, now actually I'm the, I go up and give shots at the hospital for people that need COVID shots because the hospital's not in the business anymore um, just due to staffing and things. So we do that. So, you know, we already had that there, 
before we even had our first payer contract. Yeah. So early on, um, you know, I, I think most payers could see the value if you can communicate that you have, you know, an organized delivery method, um, you know, for for that care. So how did you quantify that? Um, I mean, because that was before e-care plans were really available. Uh, so how how did you a pitch that you would quantify it, and then uh, how were you able to actually produce that? Well, the one thing that we did were able to do is we had a full time technician that actually helped drive the program, and she had a lot of experience and a lot of experience in healthcare. So she was our eyes and ears up at the hospital and worked directly with our, we, we used our pharmacy that was the closest to the hospital. And and prior to 2019, we didn't have Pioneer and, and, and our, our system really couldn't track anything at the time. However, we got unique with it. And we did have, we did actually uh, at the time use an access database file maker to help keep track that would interface with our system. And so I did track, I, I tracked, you know, one, you know, how many calls we made for people post 48 hours, how many times we identified possible problems post 48 hours, how many um, readmissions, because we tracked, we were able to get the, you know, admission, you know, readmission list. So we tracked how many that we took care of, because obviously we didn't take care of every patient. So we did track those things for the hospital. And I, I'm happy to say in the time period we did it, we were way below 5% in readmissions. We also, oh, wow. and, and I have two good stories that came out of that. We had one patient who actually, this patient was a patient that was a frequent flyer to the hospital. And a lot had to do was her, her one doctor had dropped her because she couldn't make her appointments, but a lot of it was a transportation issue. She just couldn't get that. The other thing was, you know, she was using various pharmacies. And so we were able to get her med synced we were able to get her, you know, adherence packaging, and we also delivered to her, and you know, that kept her out of the hospital. Um, another one we caught that was actually kind of glaring, where um, a patient got admitted to the hospital was not with it, and they accidentally took his medicine list from his wallet. Didn't accidentally they took they found his medicine list on him, but when they put him on those medicines, when we were doing the med rec, actually they were the medicines he had been on three years prior. Oh, wow. And so and it was because there was a good chunk of those patients who were already our patients because we have seven stores and and two are in uh, Clarion County, five are in Armstrong County. And so we ha I think there's only 13 pharmacies in Armstrong County. So we have a, a chunk of them. So we are. So when we would do the med recs, we would also med rec against our own system. We identified that and, you know, worked with the doctors to be able to do that. We also worked with the doctors when people couldn't afford their meds. You know, how many people did we have provide access? So we kept track of not only readmissions, but how many interactions, how much access. And then internally, we, we kept track of from a business standpoint, you know, how many, how many prescriptions did we fill? How many of these patients did we retain? Things like that to, to try to prove, you know, justification for it. Yeah. So, so then how did that relationship work early on with uh, with the payers? Was that a like a annual bonus or like a you know a membership kind of uh, fee? Well, this one we never got paid. We never got paid because this was our own program, all right. But the original programs that we had with the PPCN, I mean, pretty much all of them have been Medicaid managed cares. Actually, and, yeah. and one of them was a Medicare low assistance uh, uh, CMR program. And so those ones um, right now are still it's still kind of a fee for service. They're tracking outcomes. But, you know, you know, the first contract we ever had was could we could we access the patients? That was the first contract we ever had, because wow. if you because if you think of one thing about Pennsylvania, if you look at the state, you, everybody thinks about Pittsburgh and Philadelphia. But when you look at the, our state, is a, it's a pretty rural state. There's a lot of rural in Pennsylvania. And the one thing that, you know, these payers, you know, you know, Pittsburgh is a 412 area code. And if I'm in a 724 area code and with caller ID, getting access to these patients just isn't realistic. And so one of the things we showed was. 
we could see these patients. And actually, that first contract is what built us to this new contract we have. And the other thing I found, well, not just myself, but I can't take credit at all for it, but our, our leaders in the PPCN is they started working with the case managers in these in these uh programs and you know realizing our access and so one of the things we're going we're, we're this new model we're getting reimbursed for is to do social determinants of health evaluation and health risk assessment evaluations and then identifying if these problems patients do need referrals getting them to those caseworkers you know on their behalf so realizing that we are that access point so like i said it, it it's evolved over time I think the one thing we learned with our transition of care program was one, our technology was lacking, and two, we 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 were able to develop a workflow. And I think yeah. that's one thing that you know I, I do I do you know it's not a plug, but what I do love about our system now is the ability to develop workflows within our system and the ability to track things within our system to be able to deliver these programs. Yeah, so I mean that's still the the state with a lot of pharmacies now is that you know it sounds like that was a heavy lift, but a necessary lift to be able to show the proof that yes we you know we can affect change. Here's the the spreadsheets we we built and and can show that lower readmission rate. So it's it's no longer a, a theoretical conversation. You're you're having a much different conversation when you do go to the next payer. Yeah, and then like even in that, that early program, because like I said, our, our, our tools were a little rudimentary, we, we developed ways that like, A, if I had to do a 48-hour phone call, how did I know what patients I needed to call? And then two, one of the things that because we had developed this relationship with the hospital and we had a you know, HIPAA business associate, we had a contract, we got access and they were paper access. So we actually had scanned documents of the discharge summary, their most recent labs, so that when we made that phone call, we have access. And I think that's the biggest next step is to be able to interface with providers down the road so that I could have access to labs. I could have access because, you know, one thing, you know, one thing I've taught students, I've taught pharmacists that you give me a med, you give me give me their med list, give me their problem list, give me their most recent labs. I mean, and when I say problem list, their diagnosis, and then let me do my med rec, give me the, the most recent labs and I can go to town. All right, I can, I can truly do a real evaluation. I just need that data. And that's probably the next step for, for us to really push these programs is developing those partnerships so we can have access to that data. Um, and, and sometimes you don't realize, um, I had a, I was doing a diabetes education a couple of years ago for a new patient, a young patient who had suffered a mild heart attack. She was only in her 30s and she had really bad diabetes. She was obese. And I started talking to her and I said, well, do you know your labs? And she whips out her smartphone, logs in and boom, she shows <laughs> me her labs. And we were, we, were, we were ready to go to town, you know, to, to do that. So I you know, so figuring out ways to do that um, I think it's going to help us grow too. Sorry, I probably went off on a tangent there. No, no. Uh, you know, I was just thinking. So, so many of those tools exist now, uh, and Pioneer RX, and and those are based on those conversations exactly. You know, so having access to MedRec and system labs and system, but getting that data and populating that data, pharmacist. Um, you know, always find creative ways to to do that. I, and I was thinking back during COVID when there's all of a sudden this brand new need to, you know, process thousands of immunizations uh, very rapidly. And, you know, some of the ways that pharmacists came up with using jot forms and, uh, you know, so many different web scheduling solutions and, and finding the ones that work and then sharing those solutions vocally with with other pharmacists that remind me of another COVID story we did and this was utilizing you know our, our technology was we had um when COVID first hit and we were locked down you know we realized that there's a bunch of patients we don't have synced and there's a bunch of patients you know how they how are they going to have access and also worrying about shortage of staffs how are we going to be able to handle that so we actually created you know, high risk categories 
in Pioneer based on who was high risk of getting COVID. And we, we basically created those categories and then ran reports of who's in this category and who's not synced. And then we actually worked with students, both at Duquesne and University of Pittsburgh, and we got them to help us make those calls. And we, you know, we, 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 we know obviously they all signed HIPAA and things like that, but we used actually Doximity so that when they were making calls, it, it was coming from our pharmacy. And within a three day period, we got 60 people across our stores signed up for sync. And wow. I would have never been able to do that type of lift 10 years ago in, in getting that. And like I said, that was, a that, that took a lot of people to do that, but to be able just to identify those patients, it, it, it was the, the first step. Yeah, that's, um, that's one of the fun things I like playing in the software with seeing if I can like come up with, you know, a new way to, you know, generate a really helpful subset of patients given the new release that came out this week. So Yeah, and, and I guess that's probably some of my joys and fun too, that I, I told you I grew up <laughs> with the first computer system. In fact, I learned it quicker than anybody at age 13. In fact, actually, that's how far back David Simple, the owner, and I go back. He used to work at our store every Tuesday when he was just out of pharmacy school and I was his tech at, at 15 years old helping you know helping him you know fill the prescriptions but i always loved computer programming and i never went on to become a computer program but sometimes when you're figuring out categories or figuring out you know some of the new things with our e-care plan systems and just the workflows in general you know that that falls right into that realm of computer programming and, and it actually makes it fun when you when you think about it oh yeah yeah when you can when you can kind of apply that clinical logic, those word problems that you're currently working every day in the pharmacy, looking for those at-risk patients, for example, and then, you know, what what switches uh, can I can I flip to to narrow those results down? Uh, it's always kind of fun. And you're right. Templates was probably the greatest thing when that came out. <laughs> Gosh, yeah, yeah. We worked with so so many great pharmacists who were like telling us, hey, look, this is what we need. This is what we need. This is what we need. Here's how we're doing it. I know, you know, Mark Aust and uh, uh, Ren and Ching and, um, oh, Scott Pace up in Arkansas. I, I know we had uh, people all over the country that were really instrumental in, in giving that feedback in, in real time. Um, because, yeah, that, that heavy lift, like I said, 10 years ago, or when all of a sudden uh, you're in the same position because the landscape totally changes with the new pandemic. Yep. So, and that's one thing I will also say about our, 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 our state network is in my lifetime, I've never seen pharmacists come together as well as they have working together. And, you know, we just had our state pharmacy association meeting last weekend. And just that we're willing to, to share ideas. We're willing to figure out, you know, what are best practices. Um, Stephanie McGrath, our executive director, every, uh, about almost every Wednesday, we have what's called coffee and conversation. And one, somebody, one of the, you know, members, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, be using Pioneer, but one of the members shares a new workflow or something that they're doing to help grow these, you know, different programs. And so I think that's, that's, you know, a testament to, uh, you know, I think that's the new wave of independent pharmacies. I mean, I can still remember growing up that, you know, the independent pharmacies sometimes looked at each other as the competition and we no longer can look at it that way. We're we're together as one. And and, and you were mentioning Doug at NCPA and 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 I think Troy Triggerstead at CPSN says is that the one thing the network does do, um, both at the national level and the state level, is now payers know when we need something solved, how do we how can we get all these people together? Well, they go to the network leaders and then the network leaders can, you know, you know, get that out to all the members. So that's one thing that's really helped, you know, immensely over the last couple of years. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think, you know, independent pharmacy as a whole, you know, um, kind of even beyond any of the leadership groups and, and, and um, you know, industry groups, but just independent pharmacies have really shined through COVID. Um, and now that that's kind of winding down, you know, there's so much goodwill and so much, um, you know, equity built into the communities from that pandemic. How do you think that rolls out to the next 
thing where, you know, life goes on. Uh, all the payers are still looking to, you know, save money and, and get the most value for, uh, for their plans and for their community. So, you know, what do you think's next? Well, I think that's just, you know, there, there's the old uh, saying that uh, I think it was John Rockefeller once said, you know, success is doing the common things uncommonly well. And, you know, I think, you know, fine tuning ourselves, you know, you know, with, you know, our med sync programs, with our adherence packaging, with immunizations themselves. I mean, just think about, yeah, COVID, but how many people, you know, think about COPD patients. I was just giving flu shots yesterday and I was listening to this gentleman wheezing the whole time and i asked him i said you have a pneumonia have you had a pneumonia vaccine which he did but like you know those opportunities that you know you're right we have this goodwill and we shouldn't rest on our laurels on it that we should be you know moving the needle of you know how can we do that and what's great is that you know we've made some great partnerships not just with physicians but you know our different community leaders you know you know organizations you know you know our our immunization, you know, you know, like yesterday I did a clinic and I did, you know, 30 flu shots and I also did almost 30 COVID bivalent vaccines, you know, at the same time. And that's the other thing. If you would have asked me, you know, 15 years ago when I first started doing shots, could I do more than six a day? And I said, oh, no, I could never do six more than six a day. You know, you find it creative of what you can do. Um, and we just have to keep becoming innovative and, and, and working together to get there. And, and that's what the other thing that's exciting. And, and I, and this is me putting on my, my teacher hat is, I, I, is that a lot of our young pharmacists, you know, the, the, you know, the, they, they're not sure about community pharmacy because there's another side of community pharmacy because of the way reimbursements are and everything that there is a, an ugly side to it. And, but, you know, I keep telling them they're the future and they, they got to speak up. They got to say, I don't want to practice that way. And these type of networks, this type of growth is probably going to get us there. Well, it, it has to get us there. I don't think we have a choice. I think if you want to be in business in the next 10 to 20 years, you know, you've got to be creative of what you do and you, you've got to be a, more than just an access point for medications. You're an access point for, um, Somebody used this term a couple months ago. We're we're not always the drug experts, but we're the experts of optimizing medication therapy. And that has, when you think about that term, that term can mean so many different things. You know, you know, getting somebody, you know, truly adherent, identifying a drug th therapy problem, identifying that they need immunization or they're missing a medication. They're on Fosamax for osteoporosis and you know, ask them, you know, something simple. Do they take a calcium supplement so that they can keep their, you know, from, from their bone loss, you know, from getting worse. So, you know, there, there's things that we've been doing, Will, for the last, you know, 20, 25 years that we took for granted. And mm. I think we have to capitalize on those things that we do well, because it still matters. You know, unfortunately, you know, I, I always say we're not, Unless something more actually happens, we don't cure diseases, really. We cure some infections. We cure cancers, not enough. But what do we do with our medications? We use them to slow the progression of the disease, prevention of a disease, treating of symptoms. And if we, and if we optimize those medications well enough, we can't keep people out of the hospital and the ERs. You know, or we can keep people living at home, not having to be institutionalized and be part of their community. And so I think that's the next step. You know, just just to keep working on those common things we do. Yeah, I think that last uh, that last topic, especially, is something we haven't really visited often on this podcast. But it's such a, a huge slice of the healthcare spend, and and socially, such a a scary and and difficult and expensive and you know a state wrecking expense. But that geriatric care and and facility management, like if you can keep somebody adherent, if you can keep somebody, um, you know, on track and managing their disease states, if not defeating them, but at least, you know, staying home and, and aging um, and their community, there's such a huge need for that on, on a healthcare spend, on a social spend, on a, on a heartstrings pull that, you know, in all of those areas uh, that really, I, I don't see that 
anyone but independent pharmacy can can fill that. And so how do you think that independent pharmacies can, you know, really convey that value? Are there are there metrics or um, opportunities there? I think that's the next frontier. I mean, I think, you know, there that that's our, that whole realm of the medical at home and we're trying to figure out how to, you know, justify so we can get paid to cover those services, you know, um, the, you know, you know, that because that, we're doing kind of the same services as we do in long term care. However, I think the, the best places to go out and partner is with home health agencies. All right. Mm-hmm. That are, are trying to do the same thing. Keep these people at home. Um, even group homes and personal care homes, which they're a little bit they're a lot of times based in that person's community. They're, you know, they can only take care of people if they can at least do the basic things. And if you can help identify. So, for example, one of the things and, and I know that we don't do this, we don't do this yet at Kalingasmiths, but in, in putting on my old geriatric hat is fall risk assessment. You know, there are many medications can lead to falls. There's much data out there. If you're on two or more CNS type of drugs, drugs that you know, cross the blood brain barrier and get into a brain, you're at higher risk for fall. Somebody breaks their hip, all right, their life expectancy may be less than five years based on some of the data out there. So just identifying falls to be able to, you know, the other thing is marketing it to caregivers such as family members, you know, that, you know, my, my I had a great grandfather who lived six months shy of 100 and I had my other grandfather, you know, pass away in his early 90s. And both of them lived at home pretty much until the end of their life. And, you know, one, my great grandfather slipped and fell. All right. And broke his hip. And kind of the trajectory of his last year and a half was, you know, having to go to a home. And my grandfather hurt his back, which eventually. But for a long time, they were able to stay at home because they had caregivers. They had somebody managing their medications and being able to do that. So, you know, you know, you know, a son or daughter. If, if mom and dad lives in the same town with them or, or whatever, they would rather be able to go visit them at their house than, you know, having to go to a nursing home, which that's not always the greatest environment to go visit a loved one. And sometimes they're isolated, things like that. So, you know, I, I think doing that med rec, um, there's lots of programs. You don't have to go do a geriatric residency to be a geriatric whiz, but there's lots of programs of you know, identifying, you know, there, there's, you know, the, the beers criteria, the stop criteria, they're not perfect, but they guide you of what are bad drugs that elderly people shouldn't be on? You know, what are things that put them at risk for falls? Just getting adherent. I think those things we could do well because we have that access point you know, yeah. for that. So, you know, I, I speak passionately about it, but I, I know we could. And, and I, I know that from experience, from what I've done in my residency, what I've done in geriatrics. And and I always tell a story, and actually I did a, a CE at our state association on medical at home, because I think this is the, the next realm. And, and for the medical at home is what we were talking about earlier. You bring somebody on board, you do a good med rec, you look at their medication regimen, you simplify it. Ask the simple questions. Have you fallen in the last couple of weeks? You know, when you fell, did you break anything in the last year? Do you get dizzy when you sit up? And then just look at their meds. And, you know, there's enough software out there you can identify. But we had, when I worked with the hometowns, we had a pharmacy resident. And this pharmacy resident, this was was working with this lady that was down the street. And she had some early dementia, but she could take care of herself. And we actually simplified her regimen. And we didn't have fancy adherence packaging then, but we actually had seven-day, you know, pill containers. And Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. we had, we simplified it to morning and evening. And she and her daughter who lived in California kept wanting her to go to California, and she didn't want to. She wanted to live in her community. She went to her local church every day. She went to the senior center. And by doing that adherence packaging, she stayed there for about three years. I don't have true scientific evidence. That was it. But but the community and her neighbor looked after her. Yeah. Three, years, three years later, she had to go to the to – the, to the, she ended up flying out and living with her daughter. And I can remember – this same resident actually worked for us. And she said, you know what? I guess maybe we failed. I said, no, we didn't fail. She got to live three years of good quality of life the way she wanted to live. And I think that's something that, you know, we, you know, all, all community independent pharmacists take pride of their communities. And I think that's something that that's the next big area 
to do. And, you know, the tools we have to be able to just, you know, just putting in, you know, putting people in adherence patching facility, med syncing, they're all there for us to be able to take advantage of this. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned earlier the social determinants of health and, um, you know, just being aware of that patient's situation, like I said, is such a big thing. You know, if you have an elderly community in a rural area, there's a good chance they've been in that house for 50 years and don't want to leave, which could explain why that step is broken on the front porch. You know, those 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 little social determinants, those, those risks that, you know, Joe Williams uh, was on one of our earlier episodes and he talked about a delivery driver who showed up and couldn't get in because there's a tree branch that had kind of fallen down. So, you know, they show up with a chainsaw and they <laughs> take care of that for the, for the patient, you know, and obviously in some communities you have that ability to do that. Of course, you know, I don't know how you bill for, uh, you know, your time with the chainsaw, <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, being aware of, of, of those patients, uh, challenges is so important. Yeah, and that's actually, actually, I think that's an important thing when you're talking to payer contracts. One of the things with our current payer contract is there's an opportunity for home visits, and it may not necessarily have to be a pharmacist. It could be, you know, a trained, you know, driver, you know, you know, you hear Trip Logan talk about the community health worker. Mm -hmm. So having those, I, I think that, you know, that, that that's the future because, you know, that unfortunately there's, there's, Social workers are probably one of the most important parts that we're on our geriatric teams. The, the problem is that they're so important, but we don't pay them well enough, and there's just not enough of them because of that. And but there's a lot of people that do social work type of tasks that could help with that. Yeah, yeah, it's you know really being able to demonstrate that value and and have those resources available that are sustainable you know of course you would love as a as a pharmacist uh, as a business owner to personally go out to every one of those houses and you know rake their leaves for them and and do everything you can obviously it's not very sustainable um yeah so always interesting to see how you can you know come up with ideas to convey that value so uh with cpesn in pennsylvania um do you have any exciting new uh, contracts underway or um, what are you guys doing locally? I know you're involved with CPESN there. Well, I mean, I, I think the the most recent one, like I said, it, it, it is a, it's an array of services. It is mm. the ability to, to get paid for MedSync, adherence packaging, um, home delivery, um, naloxone counseling. So this is the first time we have multiple things in, in MedRec, multiple things in one payer contract, almost like having provider status. Of uh, these are things we do every day, and so that's probably our biggest one. Um, we do have a we do have an asthma COPD program, um, which actually that was one that you know because one of the things too, what I like about our our system now is the ability to have reports that are customized that they can be customizable to patients. And that actually um, helps out because a lot of times, you know, you know, you can train technicians and clerks to help with that. So getting to your question, you know, I think the more we work on disease, chronic disease states that we can help out with 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 these health plans, um, helping with, you know, the underlying problem that leads people to hospitalization. The ER is, you know, you know, not taking their medications. Um, that that's kind of where we are. So that that's our biggest niche. Where we at Clinging Smiths is what we've been talking about. Is we really want to grow that medical at home model. Um, we have the packaging tools right now. Um, we I, I I truly believe that with you know leadership at NCPA and you know people talking to CMS that there's going to be a reimbursement model for this medical at home model that is viable they already came out last december and said yes we believe this is true um but that that's our next step our next step is to take care of those people in our community to do that you know we do we have challenges yes non-preferred contracts things like that on that distribution side but you know the one thing that hopefully everybody's learned that the health benefit payer is a whole lot of 
a whole lot different than that other pair that begins with three that that has the abbreviations of three letters. So, you know, so <laughs> that that's yeah. where, that that's where we're focused on, and we have to take advantage of it. You know, um, you know, yeah, we still have to worry about product reimbursement, but we have to keep figuring out how to make this work and to make it work in workflow. Because probably our biggest challenge is because there's not enough of this revenue yet, we can't. M- make a model in our stores to support that completely. We're still heavily dependent on that product, but we need to start figuring out how to treat this on the sales report, just like we do, you know, prescriptions and how can we staff that? How can we, you know, identify ancillary staff, good trained staff, technicians, community health workers to help support our pharmacists to do that. So. Yeah, and and when you start to stitch all of those together, I had to pull up. That was the the new Highmark uh, care goals in uh, Pennsylvania. Yeah, I couldn't think of the name. I had to pull it up real quick um, with CPES in. But yeah, looking at those naloxone, MedRec, uh, social determinants, all that stuff you're talking about. Um, but again, stitching that together with those enhanced services for delivery, with getting a MedSync program, with reaching out and increasing prescription volume by getting those extra fills. Sure, even if reimbursements aren't ideal, uh, increasing that volume, making those other product offerings, uh, being able to you know maybe extend OTC and uh, immunization sales based on those uh, processes. So, you know, it's not always that you're going to immediately get paid by another payer, but um, it sounds like you've certainly put in a lot of work to prove that value. Well, the, the, the last thing I'll say with that, I think is important. And, and maybe we didn't realize this at first, but we're starting to realize it, that, yeah, this payer is going to pay us for MedRec, MedSync. Well, you know what? Let's make our workflow that we do this with every patient we MedSync. We do a MedRec. And maybe we also throw that risk assessment in there, too, so that it becomes the standard. And that's what we do. And so then when a new payer comes up, just like I told you that story of that payer say, oh, we'll never pay that pharmacy because they all don't do the same thing. If it becomes the standard of what we do, that's that's what our workflow is. That's what we do. It's not something extra because when you do it extra, it can get ignored when the times get tough, right? And uh-huh. you just go back doing what you like. So that's what we're trying. Are we perfect at it? No, but this payer program, my goal is that it becomes our standard and 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 that's what and and that and one of the things that you have to whether it's pioneer or whatever your technology solution is you have to figure out what can i automate to the max so it can help me you know do what i need to do most and that's spending the time with the patient and identifying what's wrong or educating them and taking care of them Nice, nice. No, uh, no magic bullet or secret program. Just good old fashioned uh, being great at being a community pharmacist and documenting it. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a sports nut, and uh, I'm growing up in Western Pennsylvania. But my biggest passion, I love basketball, and I can still remember our coach, you know, making us do dribbling drills or you know simple defensive slides that had nothing to do about shooting. And he always told us, you know, if you can do all those things well. Come game time, you'll be ready. And that's what we have to do with, with these services. Make it, do them well, and make them part of what we do. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, And and make sure that you're documenting and telling it. Because even if you if you go to the gym and, and get a great workout, but you didn't post it on Facebook, did you even go? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think that's probably the biggest challenge is we can create the care plan. But the care plan also has a, an important section there called notes, so that we need to also remember to put in the notes section the stories that we did, so that when we are trying to show payers what have we done, not just those biometrics, you know, like you know, or you know, or adherence metrics, but we can also tell the stories of what we need to do. So I think that's the other one is figuring out how to document that too. Yeah, yeah, it's you know, takes a little bit of additional time, but it's so important that, you know, if you don't document it, it didn't happen um, six months from now. So, um, you know, is it 
more work, I mean, no, it's, it's just crucial that you show what you've done. So we're uh, creeping up on time. I'm going to let you get back to work. Thanks so much for joining us. I want to uh, check in soon and uh, see what new programs you have coming uh, and what you guys are up to because it sounds like you guys have a lot. And I had like three other topics to uh, to touch on and didn't even make to them. Get on different tangents there, but no, 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 it was good. It, it was I, I would have steered you back over if. Uh... Okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for joining, and uh, can't wait to see you soon. All right. Take care, Will. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Beyond the Scripts, presented by the Catalyst Pharmacy Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please support our channel by liking, subscribing, and clicking the notification bell so that you'll be notified anytime we post new content. To stay up to date with all of the latest independent pharmacy news and content, follow Pioneer RX on your preferred social media platform. 